0: Episode 13 of Up From The Ashes, exploring bad sci-fi TV with big sci-fi ideas. It's The Implant People, episode 12 of The Star Lost, first aired December 7 on CTV. Written by Helen French and Martin Lager, directed by Joseph Scanlon, co-starring Donnelly Rhodes, Patricia Collins, Leo Layden, Dino Narrazano, and Jeff Toner. And of course, starring our usual trio, and this one's an interesting one. Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. This is the 50 year anniversary of The Star Lost and we are celebrating a show that maybe no one else is celebrating except for in blog think pieces where they're talking about the worst sci-fi show ever is 50 years old this year and I am here to say no it's not the worst but I'm also here to say it's definitely in the running I can understand why people say that. I am not alone today. I have been joined today with our guest host, and that is Rob Southgate, who's someone I met years and years and years ago at Chicago. Was it Wizard World? I think. Oh, it it, it It, probably. It was that or C2E2. I think it was Wizard World. Yeah, it was one of those Chicago conventions. It was years ago. And uh, the reason we connected was podcasting. He is a podcaster. He has done numerous different things from live shows to geek shows. He also does a a Facebook podcast group about Chicago area podcasters that I'm a part of because I'm just close enough, I think, to be considered a Chicago area podcaster. Uh, Yeah. So Rob, welcome. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be here, Ben. In (laughs) fact, I'm going to fill in a few blanks here. Uh, So I don't remember where we met. I think it was a Wizard World, but that was 10 years ago. Okay. Here's how I know that. My podcast network is 10 years old. The first show we did was one that my wife and I started in the spring. It was about Chester. Well, it's called Chester's Mill. It was about uh, Under the Dome. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, I had this idea to do this Marvel podcast. And my friend Jack and I started it up. And within, I don't know, five episodes, we did a roundtable. Maybe it was mid-season, maybe 10 episodes in. But we did a roundtable. And that's where you and I first podcasted together. You came on that. I forget the other show. You were the one that I stayed in touch with, and uh, but that was 10 years ago, Okay, man. And in that 10 years, uh, when we started, I think we had, well, with enough said, I think we had about five shows by the time I talked to you. Uh, by the spring, we were at 36 shows, and it grew and grew and grew, and I became executive producer of 150 shows. Uh, we've been around 10 years, uh, a year ago, I made everybody free agents, so I still can say all that stuff, but I really only have like five shows now, <laughs> uh, and, uh, in that time, I've gone back to school. I've become a college professor of digital marketing. I am now the VP of marketing and growth for a publisher called Four Horsemen Publications. Plug, plug, plug. They've got lots of good sales and things going on right now. Everybody get in there and buy books. Buy books. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent of geek culture. So they're they've got horror and sci-fi
0: and fantasy, and it's just it's awesome.
1: And so, and it's that geek culture
0: side that's why I'm like, ah, I I need people. I need people who are oh, doing creative things. Ben, you couldn't uh, have hit this more on the head. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I figure, hey, I'm going to ask him cuz and and it's been a little bit uh scattershot as far as like how I've been trying to get guest hosts. It's just been really looking through my Facebook feed of people I know <laughs> and just <laughs> Huh. And you know, finding well, you- This was you, a good call
1: and a really, really uh, pleasant, when you wrote, I was like, oh, Ben. And then I started
0: reading it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that has been the thing, is even when watching the episode maybe hasn't been fun, talking about it has definitely been fun. There's only been, a, so far, and, and so here, I, I I grade things on a curve. So- the Star loss gets a Star loss grade sometimes, and a and a sci-fi. <laughs> you mean, like where grade, it falls you know? in the lexicon of Star loss right? Right. So. Like uh, okay. an A plus episode of the Star Lost is still probably just a C minus episode in general sci-fi TV. Like if you're going to put it up against Babylon Five episodes or or yeah. uh, Next Generation or something like that. But uh yeah, so this one, I I wasn't sure what to expect for this one because the previous episode was just bad. It was just and it was laughably bad. And then the, the Walter Koenig episode that we did, the Alien Oro, that episode was just boring. Like, it just, it broke all the rules of just general TV. And so I wasn't sure getting into this one. Like, are we on the downswing now? Because I remember things being... Because <laughs> when it slides yeah. down, it could be well. And and for awful. this show, it does. It really, really does. And yeah, but but this episode i at least feel like they were trying to say something with this Mm -hmm. and and there is some i think really strong talent behind the camera on this one uh joseph scanlon we've talked about before but he ended up directing a few episodes of star trek the next generation uh he had a long career of directing both before and after this um and yeah so it there's talent. He's There's actually talent. a
1: known director in this world yeah. of of this kind of stuff. I think he worked on Outer Limits, too. I mean, this is a guy who, when I saw his name come up on the credits, I was like, that can't be the same Scanlon. Mm-hmm. And it is. But it, it makes sense when you look at the pedigree of the show. <laughs> when you look at the pedigree of the show and then you look at what came out of it, it makes no sense. You've got, uh, what is it, Joseph Trumbull, who, amazing, amazing. And the effects should have been killer because of him, and instead, uh, I don't know, we're going to talk about these effects in a bit
0: here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: But now, have you ever talked about, because I've not gone through, I tried to come into this fresh, Yeah. because this was a series, I've seen the name, I've seen the picture i've never seen it until this episode okay all right i i really wanted to come in completely fresh because i figure hey if this works you're going to want me back again and then i'll be an expert on it because i'm going to watch the heck out of this series (laughs) uh good bad or ugly uh bad probably being where it's all tipping uh but this was a show that was
0: created by harlan ellison yeah yeah so and that's uh after we do this, you can go back and listen to the the first episode of the podcast where we kind of talk about, or it was just me, I did that one solo, but talk about where it comes from because Harlan Ellison created it, and then but then you watch the show and you see created by Cordwainer Bird, right? <laughs> and that's... right, right, yeah, he
1: pulled his name off of this, he yeah. distanced himself. This is not a Harlan Ellison show. No, I, I, I'm actually a big Harlan Ellison fan. I've read a lot of his work. Uh, I've met the guy. Uh, before he passed, uh, he is as cranky as you think. Uh, and I, when I saw that he had created this, I thought, okay, even if it's bad, the fingerprints are going to be there. It's like when you watch City on the Edge of Tomorrow. I know he says, Gene Rodberry ruined my script. He didn't. There is Ellison there. It's just not what Ellison envisioned. Right. Here, this is definitely
0: not what Ellison envisioned. No, although this episode comes close to the elevator pitch as far yeah. as what he was saying originally, where he's saying they're going to travel from dome to dome. And yep. it's interesting because the last few episodes, they have not even gone to domes. Like they've gone and met someone and they talk about the dome that they came from, but they're, they, they break the show in a couple different places here. And uh, the last episode, the, the astromedics is just this weird show where they, they broke it. They they didn't go to a dome. And they then talk about how all the domes are supposed to be separated from each other. But they have medics who get called to medical emergencies in the various domes. And so you have this group of people who are traveling from dome to dome via shuttle outside of the ship. And it just – you you take that concept and it just – it breaks it. And uh, there's another yeah. – so this one at least – falls under the ele- umbrella of the, ele- to mix metaphors, falls under the umbrella of the elevator pitch that, that Harlan Ellison would have had. So, yeah. you know, I, as
1: long as we're talking about all this, the, the thousand foot view of, of things here, one thing I was struck by watching this, uh, reading about the show, reading that elevator pitch is this is going to sound really weird, but I think this was a, actually a lot more influential than we re- realize. I think a lot of people saw this and went, I've got an idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or they read stuff Harlan wrote about it and went, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I'm thinking of things like, you mentioned Babylon 5. I'm watching this and I'm like, I see a Babylon 5 connection here. I wonder if Straczynski looked at this and started adding it together and it became this kind of thing. Because it's definitely not Star mm-hmm. it, it, Star Trek has its things that it's affected. But somehow I think this affected things. Uh, I was watching. Have you seen the show? I'm going to get the name wrong, Ben. I'm going to get the name wrong. It's it's a it's a movie, and then it got turned into a show uh, about uh, people living on a train. It's a science fiction show. They Snow live on a train. Piercer. Snowpiercer. See, I get the name wrong, but it, I know what I'm talking about when I get there. <laughs> So the pilot episode, you've got all the, the untouchables at the very back of the train and they're working their way through the cars. Right. And the, the elite are in one card. And as I'm watching this episode and the kid is stealing and he's running, I went "Snowpiercer, stealed, stole stole, stealed. stole this. I need more coffee, Ben. You got me up <laughs> early. Um, but Snowpiercer, I saw threads to that. I saw threads to so many things that I went, what Battlestar Galactica even I think might have gone. Hey, I've got some ideas here.
0: Well, and the Babylon Five connection. I mean, there's no way JMS did not know about this show. I mean, he's there's he no was way with Ellison. I mean, they it had to come up as 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 Straczynski is talking with him. Ah, I'm I'm doing this show. I I need a science consult. Was it was it science consultant or was it just consultant that the Harlan Ellison had on on Babylon Five? I it, think he was just a consultant, okay, but I might but, be wrong. But as he's talking, I mean. Ellison was involved. I mean, he actually appeared on yeah, the show as right. a character once, um, as they're talking about, Hey, this is what I got going on. There's no way Ellison did not bring this up and all his experiences with this show to say, Oh yeah. Hey, watch out, man. <laughs> you know, and,
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm sure.
0: So, yeah, it just, but the,
1: the, the general concept and that, that, so when they say Star Trek is wagon train in space, mm-hmm. it is this, whatever this is in space, I believe People saw and went, it may be a bad idea, but I, I'm getting, it's, it's like a, it's like a bad seed. This is the bad seed
0: of sci-fi TV (laughs) yet from that seed, we got a lot of fruit. Well, and I will definitely say, so for me, and this is, people have heard my story before, but I saw it as a child uh, a couple times on Saturday afternoon growing up in, in Ontario uh, in 1978, 79 CTV says, hey, we have something kind of Star Wars-like. Battlestar Galactica is big. Kids are watching <laughs> right. Battlestar Galactica on Saturday afternoon or whatever it is. Uh, let's pull out this, and yeah. we can sell advertisements for this. Uh, but then when it came out on – just before it came out on DVD, I was looking up to see, like, what was that old show that I watched when I was a kid? And found it and realized, oh, it's coming out on DVD. And so I watched it back then and almost binge-watched. Maybe not quite, but almost – And it just stuck with me. And the idea of the generation ship is a imaginative idea that anyone can Mm -hmm. use. People say people need to remake this show. This is a show that people need to remake. Well, first of all, it's never going to happen. Harlan Ellison's estate is never going to say, yes, you can remake this thing that he hated so much. But it's such a general idea that you can do the generation ship. And in fact, I eventually I hope to write a novel about a generation ship. I have the idea We'll see if it ever happens because like so many idea people, there's just there's 80 ideas on the floor that right. I never am going to get around to because there's only so many hours in the day. But right, right, part of it, the generation ship, I, I mean, Robert Heinlein wrote one that really engaged my imagination uh, called Orphans of the Sky or Orphans from the Sky. Uh, but this is another one where it engaged my imagination as a child. It engaged my imagination 15, 10 years, whenever the DVD came out. And it's engaging my imagination now it is sure Uh, i I agree it's engaging mine which as i mean
1: we're gonna throw the word bad around a lot here but (laughs) as bad as it is there is something here there is something here and it's a real crime that with all that like i said that pedigree behind it that it did this this like sci-fi soap opera from canada that didn't elevate past sci-fi soap opera from Canada.
0: Fizzled toward the end yeah. here, but Yeah. <laughs> so let's maybe let's get into it, huh? Let's let's yeah, get yeah. into our episode here. Uh, it's called The Implant People and I mean, it, it does what it says on the tin. There are people with implants in this episode, but what are the implants that they have? Well, we'll get to it right now though. We start. Yeah. With... I started to watch an episode of Baywatch and I went, wait, this is a different, <laughs> different implant. People implant I'm watching, Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like many episodes, this one starts out with them kind of in transit. They're in between domes, so to speak. Garth is complaining because they are sleeping in a sewer and this this is where i start to feel like this maybe is one of those that was out of order because garth is definitely acting more like he does toward the beginning of the show than he was in the last few episodes where they're more of a a tight knit team because he's complaining about his original character setup he didn't want to do this in the first place he's not here because he wants to he's here because devin had no right to bring rachel and so he had to come so he could help protect rachel because devin and rachel are a couple but garth is she he's not a couple with Rachel, but he still cares about her and Devin and Garth used to be friends. And so we're kind of getting back into that old setup where Devin is just driven, driven to rescue the ship. He's the guy who can rescue the ship. Garth is driven to come along and help, but it is very reluctant and they're sleeping in a sewer. Basically while they sleep, (laughs) a child creeps up on them. Very, very slowly. Very, very, very slowly. Yeah, yeah. And continues creeping. Crawling. Come on, that was.
1: Think about the time frame, though. Like, like TV shows like this, that's how they portrayed kids. If they were going to steal something, it was that kind of like, oh my god, we got, we're going to eat up a minute of screen time of this kid sc- stealing this, and and the kids like the acting, it, it, it's not there. It's just. Okay, go in there and steal this thing. Okay, and we'll let the camera roll yep. while you do it
0: for a minute. Yeah, Great, cut, print. Um, yeah, <laughs> we don't have time to go back. <laughs> he steals Garth's crossbow, which feels kind of odd, but it there is a payoff. This is Chekhov's stolen crossbow right here, and there is a thematic payoff to this in Garth's arc. But not only does he steal it, he actually... Gives, gives Garth a nice kick, and knocks him down. And then he runs away. So Garth chases after him and he leads Garth to a small room where three people in green robes are simply going about their everyday duties. Now, Uh, wait, I'm going to pause you right here because
1: I want to give a shout out to the costume designer. What (laughs) this is, this is, these are green ropes. Yep. That's it. Very, very green. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) somebody had felt and made robes out of it. Like nobody's winning an award for these costumes. I have seen bad sci-fi costumes. I mean, watch anything on sci-fi channel that has the lowest of the budgets and this takes it to another level. I mean, these things were, this looked like somebody was wearing green Christmas tree skirts with a piping on it. And also, the, <laughs> let's mention the implant, too. At first, I thought, oh, it's, do you know that actor? I can't think of his name. There's an actor. Uh, he was on X-Files. Uh, I believe he's a magician. It might be Ricky Jay. But he has a mole on his head. And he's been in tons of things, but he has this big, prominent mole. I thought this was him. Uh, at first, I was like, <laughs> wow, he's changed a lot since then. But then implant look i thought it was that mole so yeah there's there's a lot yeah.
0: a lot going on in this scene <laughs> so these people they say that they are society's elites and you can tell by, by the robes they're wearing uh oh, and yeah. they oh, yeah. and they have these little things on their head that are on their their temple they are implant people mentioned. yeah uh brant <laughs> is the one who does most of the talking and he sends his friends to go out and find garth's friends because you know we have to start trusting people sometime, whatever that means, which is a nice little foreshadowing. Meanwhile, we cut to more people. So here's here's our cast of characters. We have Serena, who is the monarch of the dome. She is the lead. She's the queen. We have Roloff. Yes, <laughs> Roloff. And every time they said that, I just felt like, oh, I really want uh, uh, just a little round piece of chocolate with caramel in the middle. I want a, <laughs> I want a Rollo, Roloff. Um, maybe that's what the implant wants. It could have been, actually. It looked a lot like that now that you say yeah. that. Um, he's, the, he's the person the implant people, uh, Brant and his people, were worried about that Garth was working for. When he first shows up, they're very suspicious of him that he's one of Roloff's people. Then there's Dumol, I think is how you say his name. dumol uh, again, talking about Moles, but um he is on <laughs> there's the- a mole in your organization, yeah. it is two mole. And there's also a mole on your f- temple.
1: Moly 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 moly.
0: He's on the council. He answers to Serena to make sure her programs are implemented, but then as the relationships develop, we realize that it's actually Roloff who kind of pulls the strings, and he's the one who's manipulating Serena. And we're gonna find out more about these implants. Dumol is not doing a very good job. There's debate. There's disagreement against Serena's plans. Roloff is not very happy about that. Uh, But she gives people social benefits she gives people food and housing and she also never ever 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 goes near the people she just remains apart from them and it's kind of this uh one of the things we'll talk about is other sci-fi connections but it's kind of this metropolis idea which i'm not sure if that's the first place that it was ever done but it is one of them where you have the upper elite who live up above everyone else and you have the lower class who live down below everyone else and we don't get to see too many people in between. I mean the the casting no, call was like ten not. people. We're gonna have four <laughs> extras who are gonna be right. society. But she uh doesn't know anything about the people who are living in squalor and she doesn't understand why the people fight her every step of the way. But she also And I have a question. I have yeah. a question right here. Before you go into her her story,
1: this is as somebody who's watching the show first time, first episode, is she only the leader of this dome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because at first I thought she's a, like a larger figure, you know, she's a president snow. If president snow was getting duped by her second in command. Mm. So as we go through the series, it's not always coming back to her being the, the, the leader. Okay. That was something I could not, I I gathered that by the end, but I thought I got to ask you because it's
0: weird. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird. Again, going back to the elevator pitch, it was intended to be Dome of the Week. It was intended to be the fugitive in space. Right. And so this group of characters, that you have our trio, and then I don't we are, I don't think the computer guy ever showed up. But there's four recurring characters. It's Rachel, Garth, Devin, and then there is a guy who plays the computer AI interface. And... I didn't see him. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure he was not in this episode. Uh, but those are the only recurring cast there. They do bring back guest stars every once in a while. So they brought back the person who played Rachel's mom for one episode. Okay. And they brought back okay. the person who played Garth's dad for one episode. And then Walter Kanan gets two episodes as the, the same character, the alien Oro. Um, so. We're, and for, he was on Babylon five more. Threads. Another connection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was originally Harlan Ellison wanted him for the part of Devin which I can't really see it working. Although it would have been no matter what, it would have been different, but yeah, but Ellison's version of Devin might've been very different than the Devin that we got. He is, he is. And actually that's one of the most interesting things about this show is with all of the strife and all the stuff going on behind the scenes, his screenplay, I mean, you can't see it on the podcast, but his screenplay was reprinted in a book. So you get to see his original screenplay. It won, it won awards, his original screenplay. Also, um, Sci fi writer wrote a, a novel of his screenplay called um, Phoenix Without Ashes. And so, and then they did also IDW uh, eight, nine years ago, maybe, did a graphic novel adaptation of Harlan Ellison's original screenplay, Phoenix Without Ashes. And so it is interesting. You can see his original vision for these characters, you can also see his original vision for how they were going to use the budget. And I don't know how it would happen <laughs> because <laughs> what he wrote works. On a comic book page, uh, and might be cheap to do now, but back then, some of the things he was wanting to have happen would not have been easy to do. Well, once again, he had Trumbull, Trumbull, I can't say the guy's
1: name, who, if anybody could do that, I mean, he made Silent Running
0: on a shoestring. And they used footage from Silent Running to pitch the series to get money, which they didn't get a lot of money. But
1: yeah, but no. but he did it on when you look at the the budget on Silent Running and what you got, it's pretty incredible what it he is. did. It is so when you think here, like maybe Ellison was like, "Hey, we can make this killer thing on this low budget," but I wonder at what point how much. Trumbull has to do with it because when we, they do the shots back and you see the the cityscape the podscape <laughs> it looks like the cones of Devonshire from Parks and Recreation it is the cheapest thing I've ever seen there is no way
0: Trumbull was involved in that no he, I mean he left he left early on he had and- to leave
1: immediately because this is not looking like his work
0: yeah so in inside the dome here we have uh, the miniature that they make. Uh, oh, there's a show I just watched recently. That's a, a kind of a spoof on 80s uh, sci-fi shows, and it looks like the spoof models from this show, where they're making fun of Doctor Who. And, yeah, and yeah. it looks like the actual thing. Like it's it's someone said, "Hey, oh, we're not we're not parodying this anymore. Like <laughs> we're we're doing this as a parody, but ours is actually better than." <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the then what they pay- had. yeah so yeah yeah and, and i mean they cut to it often and that is one thing i do appreciate that they at least try to give establishing shots so we can get an idea of again that metropolis idea now is it a metropolis no metropolis did it much much better they did yeah. the, the city escape so much better but they were you know there's trees there's uh some buildings and the idea is okay she's in the building toward the top and the other people are underneath the at the bottom of the dome and I'll give them that they were trying and I'll give them they were that try- they were doing their best. And that's the one thing we have to give them is this is a, uh, I call them scrappy. They're a scrappy group of people who are trying their best, even though they were way outside their means. They, they, they were taking their abilities and, and pushing. They needed to be an eight and they were coming in at a, at a, uh, a four we'll say, and they were doing well, their I best. I you overestimating that. Yeah. But they were doing um, their best.
1: You mentioned Doctor Who. Now, I'm a, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and I've watched that early stuff. And yes, it it's cardboard and lights and whatever. But I can't recall ever feeling like, and it, I'm going to tell you why in a second, but that, that cityscape shot, I don't recall ever seeing one that bad on Doctor Who, as, as cheap as that original Doctor Who stuff was. And I think it has everything to do with lighting. The, on this show, it felt like they they put the model up and they just shot the thing and like, ah, it looks like a cityscape. Whereas on Doctor Who, they tried to use what they had to mask how bad mm-hmm. the effects were. Yeah. And here, I, I just think, and it might be that the effects person's not on set. Maybe they, they built the model and they're like, go. And the director just goes, here, just light it and let's get a shot. Here's some B-roll. Well, because, man, it's bad. It is bad. The
0: other thing yeah. I would give Doctor Who, though, is they had time to figure out how to make it work. And they had time to sit down and say, okay, this is what we can do. We've been doing this and and they're, they're figuring it out as they go along. I'm sure there's a little bit of that, but as they're going along, that group of people working there for the BBC, they're learning and they're, you know, we got this much budget. So what can we do? They know their limits and they know what they can and can't do that's not the case here and they i th- yeah. almost wonder i mean cuz what star trek did was map paintings you know right. and and it looked great that would have been almost a better way to go here it was would be a map painting that looks actually super almost realistic. i think you're wrong i think it absolutely would have been a better way to go so now they did do one model a couple episodes ago that looked pretty decent the problem was they had smoke because it was supposed to be polluted and so there was no scale because the smoke was just woofing out like real fast, like wisps of, snow, of smoke do instead of what well, I don't care if it's under cranking or over cranking where they're able to make Godzilla look much, much weightier because they film it at a slower speed or a faster oh, speed. Oh, right, right. So that he's moving slower and you can feel there's some weight there. And yeah, again, this is something that, You learn. This is something that, and they hadn't had a chance to learn this. I, I give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, I also you need to look and say, well, I can only do this much. So, what should we actually do? Right. You know. Right.
1: And and watch your dailies and say, okay, maybe maybe that's not the answer. But see, that's what happens as shows go on. Um, Especially a show. You take a show like Star Trek or Doctor Who as they go on. Uh, not only are they learning as they go, but they've got people at the very beginning who do say, wait, that doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. Like Rottenberry was stopping things to say, I'm watching the dailies. This doesn't look good. We're going to cut that. Maybe shoot it from a different angle. Uh, here, I feel like they, they have a contract. They got X amount of shows. They're going to put this thing on go. And, and when you said you saw it on Saturday morning TV in Canada. Makes perfect sense. Well. It's like Far Out Space Nuts. You ever see that show? No, I haven't. Oh, well, let me introduce you to a show that's so goddamn <laughs> awful. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I don't remember who the the one actor is. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name. The other one is Bob Denver. And then oh, they have okay. a puppet that looks like a monkey. Uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But it was a Saturday morning TV show. So when the models go by, they look like, they look terrible, but. You can excuse it. So if we look at this
0: that way, maybe I can excuse a little bit more. But it wasn't Saturday morning when it originally aired in nineteen (laughs) seventy-three. It was trying to help it out. (laughs) It was prime time. All right. Oh my God, it was
1: prime time. Yeah,
0: it was. It was. It was prime time on in Canada. And then it was was thinking it was a soap opera. No, no. I was thinking it was like Dark Shadows. You you would come home from school
1: and Dark Shadows was on at four in the afternoon. No, you're talking a nighttime, primetime TV show.
0: Friday night, 8 o'clock on CTV wow. in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, NBC played it in the United States, but not as part of their primetime. It was originally going to be primetime for NBC, but they packaged it as a syndicated package to NBC affiliates. So NBC affiliates could decide if they wanted to show it or not, but most of the NBC stations that did show it showed at 7 o'clock on Saturday night, which... That makes sense. It it works there, but so were they looking for the next Star Trek? Is that what they thought they had? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's why I mean they had Harlan Ellison, they had Ben Bova, they had Walter Candy comes in. Kier Delay. I mean that's two thousand one. You know these are. uh, I'm telling you, the pedigree is great. Yeah, yeah. On paper, before they started shooting, it was perfect. It was when Harlan Ellison started to realize, oh, this is not going to have the budget. I thought it's when Harlan Ellison started to realize I need to get out of here. It's when Ben Bova halfway through says, No more. <laughs> I am not oh, don't oh. put me on the screen as science consultant because my friends are watching this on NBC at seven o'clock and they see my yeah. name and they're saying, Wait a minute, he consulted on this thing.
1: Oh man.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Yeah. It's <laughs> it, it's like a perfect
1: storm. I mean, it it really is. It's, it's- this show. I can't think
0: of another show that has the pedigree and this type of story that just it's does two this. perfect storms. It's two perfect storms. The one perfect storm is this show should be amazing. And the other one is the perfect storm of what it ended, ended up becoming. It just yeah. Yeah. It's it, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And I'm I'm being in all uh
1: truthfulness here, uh Ben. I'm stumbling over my words there because I got all all excited about this show. <laughs> I am going to watch this show. I am going to watch. I'm going to sit through those episodes that you say are unwatchable. I'm going to sit through them because I was getting, I was seeing the potential and I was getting triggered into it. I'm a big old doctor who fan. I'm a big old star Trek fan. I like even the serials that you look at some of those, the effects here are worse than some of the serials from the thirties and forties yet, yet, yet. And and they were terrible, yet I'll watch them and enjoy them. That original Batman serial is awful, but you know what? I'll watch it. And this is where I kind of categorize that in this, like
0: that, that D level entertainment. Yeah. And, and the way I categorize categorize it is a lot of times when I watch things, I try also to see what were they trying to do?
1: Yeah. That's what what I was seeing here. I told you, I felt the potential like reeking out of this thing. Aside from the normal reek of watching this thing (laughs) that kind of reeked.
0: So back to our our plot. Uh, uh, Serena does not have an implant, neither does Roloff. And that is an important detail for us to to have. But back to the elites, the implants are manufactured by the elites. They are scientists. They are, um, and, and they say that that makes the brain function at maximum efficiency they're afraid though, and they won't say much about why they are afraid until they do start talking about why they are afraid. But then that's just enough to keep Devin and friends there for the guards to come and catch them. The guards come and they're taken to Roloff, and Roloff says everything Brant said was a lie. And he spins his tail, and eventually he offers an implant to the trio because that will help you to help the arc on its right. dangerous, dangerous trajectory. And that's when we cut to a commercial break. And it is an awful, awful commercial break. I feel like the commercial break actually should have happened five minutes later because there is a moment five minutes into the next act where the music builds and it feels like they're cutting to commercial. And it does. But they're not. (laughs) So, yeah. It it felt, it did
1: feel like that. Like if you ever watch uh, like Hulu and you're watching these shows from the UK and they'll have a commercial break in a really odd place Mm -hmm. and you realize, oh, they're showing they're not showing the original take of this. They're showing where the studio just shoved in. Hey, it's 13 minutes. We're putting right, right. That's what it felt like here. Like, okay. They're just
0: sticking it where the studio stuck it, not where the story stuck it. Yeah. <laughs> so anything else about that? I mean, we've kind of stopped along the way, but about this act one, this beginning of the episode, you say you're drawn in. You, I am drawn yeah, in. Okay. Um,
1: I, I'm, it, it's, I'm not going to just keep saying it's not good. It's not good, but I am interested in what's happening. I am starting to wonder about some of the things. I I can't figure out with these implant people, number one, why they call themselves implant people. I think that's <laughs> outrageous. Uh, why they have the green uh, uniforms. If you're the elite, you need better stores uh, or a better, they need you know Hugo Boss making their
0: their uniforms. There are no Nazis in space, though, so we don't have the good. So, I mean, they uniforms. are they are manufacturing the <laughs> implants, but maybe they made their own clothes. I mean, oh, you know, let's think that, let's help the show a if, little bit. They made their own clothes, and that's why they look awful.
1: What if it's that Ben? What if they're they're like your job is to make these implants, and all you get is food and water, and they make their own clothes to try to feel like a team to try to have, like, that's what they're given. Or maybe that's what smocks look like, <laughs> you know, in that
0: world. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So we come back from commercial and our trio meets Serena. And she trusts Roloff entirely. And she tries to pitch that to them that, hey, you should, should as well. Meanwhile, Roloff is using the implant on Brandt. And we find out that the implant is basically an agonizer. And it causes people to just be... To shatter themselves in pain. And then we <laughs> then we dissolve to the console and we we find out that what the is doing and they're not happy about things. But then uh Roloff goes and lies to her about the console and says, because he goes to the console, he's I'm dissolving you guys. You guys are no longer the console. I've taken care of it and I'm not happy with you. He goes to Serena and she's he tells her they quit yeah <laughs> they're in rebellion against us so Devin, garth they're sold more or less on this implant thing because if Devin can unlock the un unlocked parts of his brain maybe he can become smart enough to understand what's wrong with the arc and be able to fix it so he takes garth and Devin to get implants uh but while they're there roloff says no i'm not going to get an implant on my own because I-, I wait until everyone else does I, you know uh, leaders go last you know Um, Yeah Right. And then he says, well, okay, I'll do it. Uh, And during this whole distraction, Garth follows the street urchin to the console who we get the backstory about the pain bringing device. They were tricked into having them implanted. And now they want to get these implants removed. And your friend is in great danger. And this is Chekhov's stolen crossbow. This is where the child comes to Devon. And brings him the the crossbow and offers it to him as the call to action, a physical call mm-hmm. to action. I mean, Joseph Scanlan as a director, uh, he's good. He knows what he's doing, and this is one part where he he comes and and I'm like, this this works. This is dramatic. It's the acting isn't great, but the the moment the beat makes sense, and it's this hundred yeah. percent. I actually think this
1: is the part that I actually kind of got. Engaged, where it felt like some of that classic sci-fi that drew me in. uh We're starting to get one of my favorite things is when there's like a moral or an ethical dilemma mm-hmm. with characters, and the whole you know uh, Star Trek did it so beautifully all the time of you know who do who's really the bad guy and and from their perspective who's the bad guy and like this moment, even though like you said, very clumsy acting, terrible actually. Uh, this is where that type of thing comes in. And I was really interested all of a sudden. Everything else, I kind of <laughs> saw what was happening. This, even though I saw what was happening, I was interested. It was like, okay, this might have been what the original script was. This might have been the pitch for the episode right here. Yeah, yeah. And it was good. It was good. The street urchin... um, God, watch it turn out to be Tom Hanks or something, uh, was not good at that age, not happening, but it was, and, and even them finding them while we look at it in hindsight, not a big shock. But if you look at the time that this aired, that was probably a pretty shocking little moment. Like, oh, what we're watching isn't what we're watching now going back a beat. I don't understand why our leader is. It's kind of like you know what the the leader and and Roland uh, Roloff, off. Uh, their relationship reminds me of Lord of the Rings in the second yeah the Worm Tongue kind of a
0: thing. Yeah, yeah, where
1: I'm like, okay, that's what's going on here. Uh, she seems so disconnected and and lied to. I think we could have had a lot more of that to see that he's controlling her. Instead of it's just like she walks in and like, what's happening out there? Here's what's happening. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and <laughs> there was a moment there when he was telling them about putting the implants in and how it would help the arc where I went, okay, well, this is actually kind of an interesting moment too because I know he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But he said a couple things that made me say, well, it is interesting. I could see how they'd fall for it. Yeah.
0: yeah. So,
1: So this whole part, second act, him telling them that the street urchin following the street urchin this is actually
0: pretty good and our our commercial cliffhanger is actually pretty good roll off they they just zapped devin like he's he's sitting in the yeah, chair right? he's sitting in the chair getting ready to get the the implant this is where the commercial should have happened right here well it did they they, they zapped devin Zevin's unconscious and now they can implant the little device on devin and, That makes sense though yeah yeah and so this I mean, this is the half hour point point of the, the episode. This is a good, good little breaking point. Uh, we come back from the commercial and Serena reluctantly lets Rachel go find her friends. I the whole Rachel subplot here. There's not a lot going on there, but I don't know why they kept her away. From I don't know why the trio just went to should have gone to get the implants. But yeah, uh, this is where Roloff. Becomes a little less uh uh, ambiguous. He's evil and he acknowledges it. <laughs> like he's just... Oh, it He just goes full evil <laughs> yeah. from this point on. Yeah. Uh, so Garth jumps in just in time to stop Roloff from using the implant to hurt Devin. So they get the implant on Devin but they don't get a chance to hurt Devin. Brant then lies to Roloff and says ah, you know what? Uh, this is the real implant. I gave him one that doesn't work so you can't use your little machine on him. So it makes for a good diversion but Roloff escapes then and Brant then just removes all the implants from everyone. This is, I'm thinking this is going to be a climactic kind of thing, but it just happens right here. Uh, yeah, the implants are done. It's it's just done. Uh, it takes them off on everyone except for the kid who sneaks into the presidential office. And that's good luck for Roloff because Roloff happens to go there. He monologues to the kid about his plans. And Serena has actually worked up the courage to leave her quarters and overhears the monologuing. <laughs> and so he says, hey, you know, you don't have uh, this. is. I wrote this one down because this is a great little little line. Great in quotes. This is this is great in quotes. He says, right. you don't have wild dreams, do you, Serena? They're probably just serene like your name. <laughs> and, oh my God. and then she does say this is a good line for her. I am a queen and I will not be brought down to my knees by any man. But she is uh, standing she is. up anyway. But uh, she uses the queen as a hostage. Jardy steals the controller for some sort of bomb and then gets away by biting Roloff's hand. But Roloff still has Serena. And we cut to a commercial. And this whole act, I mean, there's a lot going on, but there's not a lot that... There's a lot where I'm rolling my eyes as well. Let's put it that way. Yeah, me too. But where I had the interest built up, I'm now just like, okay, let's (laughs) get to the end of this one. The, the thing about him monologuing, to, monologuing to the kid, Jardy is the kid's name. Jardy is mute. So he can't tell anyone right. the the plan, but at the same time, he totally can. Cause like, this is again, the satire of Lassie where, what is it Lassie? Right. Did little Timmy fall down a well two miles right. away from here? You know, they right. do it that. It doesn't Gar- mean
1: he can't communicate something. He is communicating through the whole thing. But, you know, uh, but maybe they, maybe they realized, yeah, but the kid can't really act. So we're never going <laughs> to get it
0: from the kid's acting ability here. So we come back for commercial. Garth is looking for Jardy and Devin sends Jardy to find Garth. So Jardy's trying to find Garth. Garth is trying to find Jardy. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, Devin sends Jardy with just this really long message to give to Garth and Rachel. When you find Garth and Rachel, tell them that we are rebelling and we are gonna be in this place at this time. And Dad, and I'm just thinking to myself, Devin, do you not know how this works? The child can't speak. He doesn't right. have a codified sign language that we can see. He right. he communicates with with uh, facial expressions and hand very motions basic and stuff. stuff. But yeah once again it's like telling Lassie. Yeah Lassie, here's my monologue. I want you to go
1: tell yeah. No.
0: And so Rachel, she ends up wandering around, walking right into Serena's place where she's being held hostage. And so Rachel is now a prisoner, too. And they're prisoners in this kind of inset thing in the wall where they have. We haven't talked about the egg crates in a long while, but the uh, one of the production design pieces that they use a lot are these soundproofing egg crates that maybe you put on your mattress you can lay on. But you've also seen it sure. on that style thing on the wall. They're also green. And so it actually makes for a nice effect because you have the shadows and shading on of the green and and they use the green screen effect to pull the green out. But then you also still have some of the pieces of it left in there. So it it looks like they're actually using bad green screen effects to a positive effect. And it works. It works. But yeah, it actually does. And so they're they're being held in an energy field. And both both Rachel and Serena. Uh, Rachel's now a prisoner, too. And he monologues more. <laughs> and Jardy overhears everything again. Meanwhile, do do more monologues about Roloff never again having power over them. And oh, this is one thing we haven't talked about is that Roloff had a writer's crop. And if anyone ever is walking around with that writer's crop kind of a thing, you know, they are a pompous oh, bad yeah. guy. Plus, what is he riding? yeah, well,,
1: <laughs> but I mean, those domes, do they have horses or whatever the equivalent? Well, space horses.
0: The idea do they would have be space horses there's probably livestock somewhere on the ship, but we haven't seen any for sure, but that you can ride around and maybe in a dome if it's a wide okay. open dome, I guess, oh, maybe there's one dome, an open range dome exactly. that's your that's okay. your western setting, you know, and yeah. So this is Chekhov's writing crop because Roloff loses it, but then Dumore gets it and he snaps it over his knee, and it's like this physical metaphor of he's not going to have power over us anymore. And we're expecting, at least I'm expecting, some sort of climactic battle or conflict. Uh, yeah, and there is, there is a standoff. There is a standoff. Garth barges in. There's a standoff between Garth and Roloff. Jardy gets caught now all of them are prisoners so the people are going to mobilize and so you have Devin and some of the people outside the door you have roloff with the upper hand inside the door garth is on one of those energy screen things serena rachel and he's holding jardi he's holding Jardy, but jardi escapes runs falls he's crawling to Jardy. Do what? We don't know exactly. We got another We're three gonna... minutes of crawling. Yeah. <laughs> That's how he got the job. They're like, hey, kid, crawl for us. Let's see how you crawl. That's it. That's it. He's our guy. Yeah. Um, Roloff runs <laughs> to stop Jardy, trips, falls, hits his head. Oh, my God. This scene. Jardy oh. touches the welcome the mat, mat, which is apparently the, door the pressure opener for the door. The door opens, and Devin and everybody come in, and... That's, well, that's, ben, com- ben, you know, that's that's the the final conflict.
1: <laughs> that's... What's funny when he hits the pressure mat? I actually went back and watched this a few times because I'm like, okay, that's supposed to be like a pressure mat, but they they didn't pull the things fast enough, so there's this delay where it's like, no, they don't they don't work that way. It he would have hit that thing and it would have gone, Shh, but instead it's like hit. Oh, maybe it's just him. Maybe he's just like he <laughs> works on a slower time speed, and it goes. <laughs> that's why he crawls so like slow. A yeah. minute. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he, uh, but his his trip too is amazing. Oh I thought, my word! What what did he trip over? Like it's such a bad. Oh no! I'm falling, and I'm like, what? 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 It was like Austin Powers, another Austin Powers oh. reference, because he's falling. He's like, oh no! I'm falling, and I can't get up.
0: Oh no! I'm like what? What is he doing? I just this week was watching. I can't remember which episode I'm watching of Doctor Who, but it's, it's a Tom Baker episode where the bad guy is right there and the bad guy is getting ready to shoot the doctor. But a kid is nearby and the kid shoots the bad guy. And so the, the doctor reaches over, grabs the bad guy, takes the bad guy's staff hands it off to the kid and then slowly lowers the guy to the ground but he's not like holding the guy up he's just holding his arm right but slowly lowers him to the ground he's unconscious and i'm just like he was unconscious and standing there
1: for right. 10 to 15 seconds
0: there. but you could tell it was just like these are all of the stage directions that we have to right. get through before do he this, can end up on the ground this. and that's the yeah. kind of thing here where it's just he well he trips yeah, when he in falls it's but it's like nothing is he knocked set. out there's nothing on the set. It doesn't matter. There's nothing on the set, but it says it in the script. He has to trip, I, and is he, well, I think he trips I over know. the chair? There's a
1: chair <laughs> that he kind of bumps into. It's but it's ridiculous. He doesn't convoluted. trip over. It's like his 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 knee bumps a chair, and he goes flying, and then he's knocked out. But then he, I think he wakes up yeah. at the right moment, or it's. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It was the greatest scene because it was so bad. And this is our this climax. was right out of this Sharknado.
0: Is our, <laughs> this is our climax. This is the yeah. the big final conflict and oh, terrible. But we do have an emotional climax as well, a, and a moral thematic climax where they decide we are not going to use the implant on Roloff. We could. We could put one on him. This is their ethical but we're not stance, going to yep. because he did all these evil things, but we are not going to stoop to his level. They don't actually say it like that. Although sometimes the the script here, maybe you would expect them to just set it up. Yeah, right. right. Just but, throw it out there. They should have yeah. shot him with a crossbow at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, and actually that would have solved it. when When he trips, the crossbow shoots him in the gut so they could do their whole thing. But then it's like. He accidentally killed himself and it ends that story. At least it would have been something. Cause here it's like, oh, he gets to maybe he'll
0: be the big bad that comes back later. He's their Thanos. <laughs> We've had a couple people who could possibly come back later. The only one we're gonna get is Walter Kandig. So just you get two episodes with him, and one of them's boring, one of them's bonkers. So I'll let you yeah. discover that for yourself. But Oh, I can't wait. Uh yeah. So that's our episode and it just that's, That's our episode. <laughs> the ending's terrible, but it had a really great scene in the
1: middle, and there's a lot to there's a lot to kind of like here
0: if you like this kind of garbage TV, and I do. So uh, let's talk a little bit about our guest stars. Uh, Donnelly Rhodes played Roloff. Do you know who that is? You you had to have recognized him from somewhere. I did, but it didn't hit me. Battlestar Galactica. Doctor, uh, uh, Oh, I know who he is. Doctor, what's his name? It's like, I don't know his like name. Cuddlefish? I know exactly who he it's is. Not cuttlefish? is oh, it? Oh, that sounds, I don't know. It's something like that. That sounds, I'm looking at yeah, him he's, right now. I know him. He, yep. He's been in tons and tons of things. Coddle, not cuttlefish. Coddle. Coddle. Uh, so just going through his I'm IMDB. i names, so. He's been on The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. We played the same character on those two shows. Uh, yep. Supernatural, um, uh, Marley and Me, The Puppy Years, uh, <laughs> Tron, Legacy, Ramona and Beezus, uh, Human Target, Battlestar Galactica, Smallville. I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of things. Uh, yeah, Psych. he's
1: one of those actors you've seen him in a lot of things. Yeah. But I'm the, when you said Battlestar Galactica, I immediately flashed into my head I would yeah, know exactly yeah. which character That's
0: where... And actually, I think I know who he is on The Flash, too. Uh, that's where I'm, I'm looking at this guy and thinking, I have seen this guy before. Um, he's on Millennium. He, uh, on the X-Files, he's four, two episodes of Millennium, two episodes of the, the X-Files. Four who different characters. X-Files? <laughs> who was he on X-Files? Do, general Francis and Jim Parker in the episodes, uh, Shapes from season one. Uh-huh. And. He was a general in that he one. He was That's uh, the one that... Musings of a Cigarette Man in, uh, season four. Oh, interesting.
1: My wife would be all over this. She knows X-Files backwards and forwards, inside and out. If I had shown her that
0: picture, she would have gone like, <laughs> I know who that is uh magnum pi cheers i mean this is a working actor but here's our big connection and since you haven't listened to the podcast before you aren't going to know exactly what this is but he is our littlest hobo connection the littlest hobo is a show that was on when i was a kid about a do-gooding dog traveling (laughs) traveling the land across canada and and he uh he is our littlest hobo connection uh wonder woman so yeah i mean this guy he did a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Uh, you know who did not do so much work? <laughs> Ooh. Well, that would be Jeff Toner, who I didn't mention in the opening here. But Jeff Toner played Jardy. And uh, he actually played uh, his his IMDb acting credits are two: um, the oh. star lost and a TV movie called She Cried Murder. And. Ooh. And then in 2010, he was on... He comes back out of nowhere. He makes a swinging comeback in 2010. As camera operator and editor of a short film called My Son Thane. So it's... I wouldn't say he comes back out of nowhere, but yeah. Uh, He swings for the
1: fences, and he got fired because he didn't... When they asked him questions, he just sat there mute.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so he... Wasn't what you said, you know, you said, well, maybe he turns out to be a a Tom Hanks. No, he did not turn out to be a Tom
1: Hanks. Pretty far
0: from Tom Hanks. Yes. So, uh, then we have playing Serena is Patricia Collins. Now Patricia Collins has an interesting, uh, Harlan Ellison connection. By way of JMS, because she actually was in one episode of Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which J. Michael Straczynski created and wrote a lot of the episodes. And again, JMS and Harlan Ellison were friends and worked together. Um, but she was also on The Littlest Hobo, and she did, well, it looks like she did a lot of Canadian TV, uh, but be a interesting lot if, of it. if Ellison was talking to him and happened to mention her because of this show. And then threw her into that. I mean, it or it could just be, I think coincidence because Harlan Ellison at this point hated everything to do with this show and was not silent about that. So if, if anything, it would be, yeah, well they even got Patricia Collins on and JMS. Oh, who's she? Well, let's check it out. Uh, Leo Layden is Brant. He also had a, a long, long career, uh, that went into 2002 where he was on an episode of law and order, special victims unit, um, but yeah, he just, I, I, he was also a littlest hobo guy, um, and did a lot. Boy, a lot of people were on littlest yeah. hobo, well, the big Canadian show, huh? It, it was, it was, I mean, I don't know how big it was. I do know, I don't remember anything specific about the show other than watching it and the dog. Um, and, and then I started seeing all these people showing up as, oh, they were on that show too. They were on that show too. So it's kind of the running gag here. Every single episode since I started noticing it, so about episode three to today, has had a Littlest Hobo connection. So, so, so it's the six degrees of Littlest Hobo. It is only it's really one degree,
1: <laughs> it's like, one degree. Yeah. But, but I bet you could take that and work your way out, and
0: somehow the Littlest Hobo is within six degrees of every movie
1: it, ever made.
0: I mean, I mean, I'm wondering, could I even be a six degree separation from Littlest Hobo? I don't. we'll, we'll see. I will
1: give it some thought.
0: You would. I might actually. Because we play Six Degrees of Rob
1: Southgate, and I can typically get within a couple of degrees of just about anything.
0: <laughs> so well, I'll do it. I'll see if I can find it, and I'll send it to you. So Dino Nerizano, he is—he uh, did a lot of acting before The Star Lost, not too much after it. He actually passed away in, in the 80s, and so uh, his career as an actor uh, was done in, in 1977. Um, but he was on in, uh, Search for Tomorrow... He was in uh, Three Days of the Condor. Wow! Um, so he did a couple things, but not not a whole lot. So no, but good things. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, our writers—the one that that I wasn't sure about—and that is Helen French. I can't remember if we've talked about her or not. Well, you and I haven't. Um, I- my first thought when I saw
1: Helen French, I was no. like, I wonder if she's related to Dawn French. And I'm like, why would that <laughs> mean anything? But- so
0: her writing career ha- had four different TV shows, five different episodes, Playdate in 1964, Police Surgeon in 1972. She wrote two episodes of that, this episode of Star Lost, and then a show called Salty. So she wrote Canadian TV. and Yeah, well, five episodes. Yeah. And the other art writer, Martin Lager, he is one that we have talked about because he has done a number of different things. But one of the things he is most well known for is um, Littlest hobo. <laughs> he did 12 episodes <laughs> of the Hobo. Um, yes. But he also did four episodes of the Star Lost. And that's why I say we've, we've talked about him before, because he's he's done four episodes. He is coming back. We will talk once one last time about. Oh, no. Yeah. One last time. He is the writer of Space precinct the final episode of the star lost so that is our cast and crew for this episode and so this is the part where we can kind of talk about what were the sci-fi ideas the big sci-fi themes and where we've seen it reflected in other sci-fi shows and the one that i wanted to bring up was the myth of the 10 percent. and that is that myth where they use it in science fiction a lot that says we only use 10 percent of our brain Oh right! The other ninety percent is is totally uh, is is locked up, and that is actually something that I was working with a friend on a project, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" And I thought I was onto something. I was like, "What if the superhero serum?" unlocks that other 90% of your brain. He's like, what are you talking about? And we talked about it. I was like, oh, this is great. And then I'm like, I'm going to research this and find out. And it's not true at all. (laughs) No, it's,
1: that's one of those things. It's, it's like an urban legend. I hear that one a lot. In fact, I used to believe it because you'd hear it so much.
0: Not true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then there was the idea of the, the pain thing. And this is one of the best parts about this episode is that this implant for the the elites, the scientific people, who, by the way, can't help with the ARC because they don't understand that kind of science, but they'll look into it, and maybe that's something that Devin can come back to them and talk to them about. But the science people who created the implants knew exactly what it was for, but were forced to have it put on, while everyone else who has one were tricked into it because they were told the lie about the 10%. And I I like that twist. I like that idea. And then I like that it's used... If a little ham-fistedly, but I like that it is used as this is how he manipulates the people in power, and eventually this is something that's going to be mass produced, and he's going to control everyone. Like this is, yeah, this is his thing. Yeah, and it's I I think it's a great concept, it's a great idea. Again, not necessarily use the greatest, but it, it works. It works well in the context. This is I would say a B plus maybe an A-star lost episode. Wow. So I, I got the right one. I drew a, the right one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple that have been better than this one, and then most everything else has been kind of sub this one. Um, but then again, you're when, once you say that, you're still saying, you know, put this up against Star Trek Next Generation, which I think has a broad spectrum. There's some greats, and there's some stinkers. Uh, put it up against Star Trek Next Generation. This is going to be a C-level episode, if that. Sure. And put it up against something like Babylon 5, And it's going to be a you know a D a D level episode. But although Babylon Five did have a couple stinkers as well. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean they they all do. This one just has a much higher percentage of stinkers. Right. And if they had had the chance to continue and Finish the season and go into another season. I feel like they would have been able to grow into it because they had other writers lined up to do episodes. Ursa, Ursula K. Le Guin is the only other writer of pedigree that they were able to bring in. Shatner was going to be in an episode. They had they had people lined up to be a part of this that would have maybe brought things up. But wow, it, well, you think you know? I mean, once again, Canadian sci-fi. Trek. How is Shatner not going to be a part of that?
1: Right, and it's posts post Star Trek this, before they've you know brought it all back so these actors would be they would be hot to get into
0: something like well, this Well I mean here's what with he was that busy with that pedigree once yeah. again here's what he's busy with though He was busy with Star Trek the animated series same year same same time frame in fact that's what I'm doing on my Patreon is I'm reviewing episodes of Star Trek the animated series 50 years oh, later Oh fun um, But anyway, I love that series. Yeah, it's it's a fun series. It's there's ups and downs. It's not quite as ups and downs as Star Lost. But yeah. So anyway, that I I like that concept and it does bring to mind. And I I said they they, it it, uh, zaps the Shatner out of you, you know, where you're (laughs) they they were going to say that's a full Shatner mode as far as the pain that they were feeling. Oh yeah. And yeah. Holding their temples. And- I wonder if that's a Canadian acting school taught them how <laughs> to do this. How to do imaginary zapping
1: of pain 101. And- Either that or they just all were so into Shatner because of Star Trek. They're like, he's the greatest. I'm all. Always- this is how you do it, man. <laughs> kind of like for a while, everybody's every American actor seemed to be doing either De Niro or Jack Nicholson. There was so much of that that maybe maybe
0: that's the Shatner effect. Maybe, maybe. So the other thing I would throw out there before we can kind of get into if you have a list is, is going back to Metropolis, which Metropolis is, I would say, you might like it. It's definitely sci-fi homework though. It's something no, that I if love you it. are into sci-fi, you need to watch this movie because it is foundational. There is so much sci-fi that spread out from that. From Star Trek, there's episodes of Star Trek that reflect Metropolis. Uh, there are, um, this episode of Star Lost reflects Metropolis. Blade Runner, if you are a fan of Blade Runner, you need to watch Metropolis to see where some of these Blade Runner ideas came from where you have the just the they have to build up and just looking at metropolis a silent movie that is looking into the future to see what will big cities be like and while some specifics may not be correct there is an emotional tone and thematic idea of the working class versus the elite that you it resonates, even though you may not resonate with the exact way they do it, where like people are marching to work all in lockstep. Um, you felt that way. <laughs> yeah, you felt that way. If you've had any kind of job where it's, it's physical labor and you're just doing this job to get money so you can survive, you felt the way that these people feel. But then above them, above these people who are just living in the grime and the dirt, you have this. Uh, but then you also have the A.I. You have this robot woman that is the precursor to so many things to come. I mean, C3PO's original designs were based it on It looked very much like it's, Metropolis. It's very much on that that, that robot. So yeah, uh, yeah so I, I would throw that out there as you know, this is a connecting point to sci-fi homework. If you are a fan of science fiction, watch Metropolis. You may not enjoy it, although. You just might enjoy it. You might just discover something that you didn't expect you would like because it's black and white and silent. Um, But it's the kind of thing like 2001. Some people love it. I'm one of them. Some people don't. But it's sci-fi homework. If you have not watched 2001 and you're into science fiction, especially as a creator, but as a fan or as an analyst, you've got to have that under your belt as something you've seen so you can know where things have come from and... All of these things I'm talking about, Metropolis, Star Trek, 2001, predate the Star Lost and look better than the Star Lost. (laughs) Definitely. But you are 100% right
1: in in the threads you're making there. And I think think some of those other threads that we talked about earlier, uh, like the, uh, I forgot it again, the train show, and looking at it the other way, like you're seeing where this may have drawn from, but what drew from this Mm -hmm. is really pretty fascinating. And I really do think, like you said, I could see Straczynski sitting there having a conversation with Ellison and all of a sudden going, hey, there's some concepts for Babylon 5 here. Because do you, I mean, they did do the, you know, areas with the untouchables mm-hmm. versus, you know, moving through the ship and finding these different sectors.
0: You know, it's all there. Yeah. It's The, the big difference fascinating. is that the ship wasn't created to be sectioned off like this. But right. But in creating this giant ship that you have a large society of people. It just happened. And that's, I mean, Babylon 5 is, it's just one of, one of, if not the greatest sci-fi show of all time. I mean, it's just wonderful. You know, it's funny. It's
1: one of them that I talk about a lot, uh, because I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, but it's another one that has a weird thing. The first season is good, not great. Mm -hmm. Two, three, four, some of the finest sci-fi period. And then that final season, after it had already gotten canceled, and then they brought it back for one more season, it's like, yeah, but you already told us what happens. Uh, It doesn't have the impact of the previous seasons, but man, that middle section, and since you're a Babylon 5 fan, you know the scene with Walter Koenig on the train is one of the greatest moments in any sci-fi show ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, that was Brilliance. Well, and and Walter Koenig, he has. I mean, this is the trifecta for him. This recurring characters in science fiction history is Bester in Babylon Five. It's uh-huh. Chekhov in Star Trek, and it's ORO in the Star Lost. I mean, it's he's he's done these three big. Where do you go from there? Nowhere, nowhere but down. As far as that, <laughs> it's funny. I have a friend that
1: uh, I, I've talked about on other shows. Uh, he's he's on Star Trek, but. Uh, before he was on Star Trek, uh, he had posted a picture. He he lives out in California, obviously. He's an actor and all that. And he posts this picture. He's like, I'm walking around my neighborhood, and look who I run into, and it's him and Walter Koenig. And I was like, my God. And he's like, we talked. He said he's the greatest guy, and he was petting my friend's dog and all that. And then years later, my friend is on Star Trek, and I'm like, that is so frightening. That's cool. nice. It's nice. That is so freaking cool. But I've always had a real warm warm feeling about Walter Koenig after seeing that post and knowing my friend was like, no, he's legit awesome. Like, he's a great guy. He keeps posting pictures with Jonathan Frakes right now. He's like, Jonathan Frakes is the greatest
0: <laughs> human I've ever met. So it's fun. It's fun to see that. So we've kind of talked about this already, but this is the point where we can kind of actually have already talked about it. Does it need fixing? What are ways that this episode could be fixed? We've talked a little bit about that. Anything else you wanted to throw yeah. there about how this could have been fixed? I mean we've pretty much
1: No, I think we've that. talked
0: about it. And I think that there are fundamental problems with the series that needed to be fixed.
1: Yeah. But with this, it's take the fur take the middle act and scrap the rest and rework it and, and not have a ridiculous trip over the <laughs> you know <laughs> Rob Petrie trips over the <laughs> ottoman da,
0: or sidesteps it, you know, which, yeah. which episode are you going to get? He should have sidestepped it.
1: He sidesteps it and lunges for the kid and the crossbow goes off and shoots him in the heart. And then they come in and they're like, oh, twas mute kid that killed the beast. <laughs> twas clumsiness that killed the beast. Yeah, there you yeah. go. What do you think about it? Kaelic and Caleb or whatever the kid's name is
0: just stares at him. Oh, I think and what he said, I think what Jardy means here is he he thinks clumsiness killed the. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think what Jardy means. <laughs> oh, my word. And Jardy just stares blankly at him. The kid Maybe should... the kid's telepathic. Yeah, that could be. That could be. They should. Now Unlocking there's something. That 90% of his brain, right? That
1: And there's something they could have done with, with the implant that was still. Because didn't he still have an implant? He did. He did. What if that all of a sudden gave him the ability to communicate telepathically with maybe one of them still has it on. And when all this happens and it, and they, they get his device, they realize not only does it cause pain, but it, it allows a psychic
0: link. Oh. I mean, there is. So some, we've given voice to Jardy. There is a link between, I mean, links are obviously made between the remote control and the thing. I mean, it's it's not too far of a leap there. Um, and we didn't talk about this, but Jardy has an implant. He was the, key, the reason it was created was because he had a medical condition in his brain that needed to be taken care of. And so they put the, they created the implant to help him to, to live, but I know
1: how to help him. Let's shock the heck oh, out of him okay. every time uh, he starts to act up. So,
0: so the other question we've already <laughs> talked about as well, and that is that, uh, will you continue to watch the star lost or are you going to walk away and, uh, you've, you've, You've answered that question. I'm watching it. You're you're in.
1: You're I'm in. watching
0: it. You know, it, it's not that many
1: episodes. Um, it's definitely, you mentioned sci-fi yeah. homework. It's sci-fi homework. I really think it is. Uh, I think that as we get to the end, it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, I'm definitely not subjecting my family to it. <laughs> but I will watch it. This is
0: sci-fi radiation that I will absorb for you. Now, I will say early on, watch for some of those faces that you recognize. I mean, there's... There's an episode. I think it's episode three. It's written by Ursula K. Le Guin, and it has two people who are big sci-fi supporting characters. But yeah. you'll recognize them, and they and they act together, and it's it's fun to watch. So I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, and I will tell you
1: to go back to one other thought. I'm getting awfully close to six degrees of separation from me and this show. <laughs> Right now, I think I'm about three away, so we're getting close. Right. I don't know if I can get All closer right. than that, but I will send you that,
0: that connection when I've put it together. All right, All right. So this is uh, the, the part where we say goodbye, we say farewell, and where you get an opportunity then to tell us, where can people find you online? Where do you want people to find you online? And um, so podcasting output or whatever it might be, but uh, tell us where we can find you online. And this, this will also be in the show notes for everyone.
1: Great. Well, uh, there's a few places, uh, you know, something that drives me crazy when people come on my shows is I say, where can they find you? And they list 800 things. Mm -hmm. The problem is I literally have 800 things. Uh, easiest thing. I mean, you can connect with me personally on Instagram at Rob Southgate. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Southgate. You can go to Southgate media group, anything you do there, whether it's the email, whether it's, uh, you know, any of the social media, guess what? It goes to me. Uh, so that's usually the easiest way. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna also throw something else out there that I I haven't said. I also consult on marketing and and uh, podcasting and all that. Uh, I own a thing called the, the podcast profs, and I also own Southgate Small Business. Uh, I help with Kickstarters. I do all this kind of stuff, and I do free consultations to get people going. You can write me directly, Rob at thepodcastprofs.com. It'll go right to me. Uh, or once again, any of those outlets, you click on anything there, even though it's 800, it all goes through this funnel and it comes right back to me. And uh, ask me questions. Let's get in conversation. And then also I'm with Four Horsemen Publications uh, as their a VP of Marketing and Growth. And we've got great books. We've got great sales going on. Check out Four Horsemen Publications. And if you have questions in any of that, Reach out. I love it. I love helping the independent creator. You know what I mean? You write games, you write comics, you make music. I love to help you. So there we go. There right. we
0: go. All right. Thanks. And I do want to throw it out there again. Uh, you can go to buymeacoffee.com upfromtheashes slash up from the ashes or patreon.com slash up from the ashes podcast, and that's where you can get bonus episodes. The bonus episodes are a thank you. You're not buying the episodes. You're actually supporting the podcast and supporting some of the costs that I have. But if you enjoy this podcast, please consider buying me a... Not coffee. I don't drink coffee, but that's the website. I can't. You can't go to buy me a tea, Earl Grey Hot. You have to... Go to buymeacoffee.com slash upfromtheashes, but, um, greatly, greatly appreciated. And I just want to, again, say, Rob, I've appreciated having you here as well. And thank you for spending time, having fun talking about what's good for you is that for this episode, you actually enjoyed yourself watching the episode as well. Um, there's been a couple people where I felt like I was doing the whole, uh, Dr. Floyd deep oh, on no! The, um, but it's not on purpose, and it's all, you know, you can always say no. <laughs> so that's what you I- You know what? I, I truly
1: enjoyed myself, and and Ben, I'll be on anything you ever invite me on. Uh, it's really been a great time, and uh, who knows? I've got, I still have shows out there. Maybe I'll get you on something in the near future. Sounds good. Uh, Nobody knows this. Here's an exclusive for you. We have been recording episodes of Nuff Said. Maybe you could come guest on an episode of Nuff Said, because the original team stopped doing it years ago. Yeah, as you uh, say, I, I haven't it seen over. that a long time. I handed it over to to our super fan, our number one fan. Handed it over to him. He was thrilled. He passed away last year. So as a tribute, we've gone back and we've been recording episodes. We're probably not going to start releasing them until the spring. Hmm. But it's the original three guys, and it's been so much fun. And somehow we've probably become the most educated show on iTunes. I don't know what happened. We went from being three dopey guys to uh, one doctorate, one master's, one law degree. <laughs> I don't know what happened. No.
0: We still get it all wrong though. You know how we write. I know how. I know how it goes in general. Like that's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. so.
1: Ben, thank you so much. Yeah. This was truly an honor and I will share it with everybody in my world. Nice. Anyone listening, share this with your friends, let them know about it. It's a fun listen, even if they don't know the show.
0: So with all that said, I just want to say as you are going about your metaphorical earth arc of life, watch out for domes that want to put implants on your forehead. Just stay away from them. That's my life lesson to you. With all that said, thanks for listening and Godspeed.